This is a one and all media podcast. I love reminding people, Jesus may be exclusive, but he is the most inclusive exclusivist you'll ever find. No matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you've been and what you've done, it doesn't matter. Everybody has a seat at the table. Come on in. The water is fine. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to another episode of Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and I'm one of the members on the team here at One and All Media. And we're about to hear the rest of a message we started last time looking at if all religions lead to the same place. In other words, how can we claim as Christians that Jesus is the only way to God? You may have thought about this before or know someone who's struggling with this topic, so you can find the full message wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with them. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's message. Tim Keller has a great quote in The Reason for God, one of my favorite quotes. He says this, it's extensive, stay with me. Skeptics believe that any exclusive claims to be superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. But this objection is itself a religious belief. It assumes God is unknowable, or that God is loving but not wrathful, or that God is an impersonal force rather than a person who speaks in scripture. In addition, their proponents believe they have a superior way to view things. They believe the world would be a better place if everyone dropped the traditional religion's views of God and truth and adopted theirs. Therefore, their view is also an exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. If all such views are discouraged, this one should be as well. It is not narrow to hold this view. Then there is nothing inherently narrow about holding to traditional religious beliefs. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, when somebody says, you Christians are arrogant, it's a self-defeating statement. Because when you accuse Christians of arrogance, you, at that point yourself, are claiming to have far more superior knowledge in your view of religion than the Christian. It doesn't work. It's unlivable. And finally, you okay? Everybody okay? Stay with me. We're almost there. The root canal's over. Five. Inclusivists claim it is impossible to know anything with certainty. That's what bothers them. Now, you can do this one, right? This is an easy one. A college student comes into my office and says, look, I come to your Bible study, Pastor Jeff, every week, and I really like you. That's always a good way to start. I really like you, Pastor Jeff. I mean, I like you. I like your teaching. I I, I get something out of it, but there's only one thing about you that really disturbs me, and that is this. You seem to be certain about the things you believe. And I said, yes. Yes. What's the problem? He said, it is impossible to know anything with certainty. 
Now, you know my comeback, right? Are you absolutely certain that it's impossible to know anything with certainty? (laughs) These are self-defeating statements. They fail their own tests. Now, okay, it's over. Pat yourself on the back. Man, I mean, I don't know who this guy is, but man, my head's killing me, okay? Now, I love reminding people, Jesus may be exclusive, but he is the most inclusive exclusivist you'll ever find. No matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you've been and what you've done, it doesn't matter. Everybody has a seat at the table. And you know, that is very rare. And matter of fact, I don't like to admit this, but one of my favorite movies is, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I love that movie. And my favorite character in the movie is Delmar. And they happen upon a Christian baptism scene and Delmar runs into the water And then he's baptized and he comes out and he says to George Clooney and the the other guys, he says, that's it, fellas. I've done been saved. I've been baptized. The preacher done said all my sins are forgiven. Even that Piggly Wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. And Clooney says, I thought you said you was innocent of those charges. He said, well, I lied. And the preacher said, that sin's been forgiven too. That's it, boys. Come on in. The water is fine. Now, once we make the statement, inclusivity fails its own test the way it's defined today, then we ask the next question. And this is where, this is where we should be incredibly motivated when we discover the goodness of God. Because what is the message of Jesus that makes it so exclusive? And why is it exclusive? Well, it's because the core of what Jesus taught is different fundamentally to any other philosophy, religious system that you find on planet Earth. It is diametrically opposed. It is that different. So I love using this example. I love traveling when I'm on an airplane. It's only a matter of time before the guy next to you says, what do you do? That's what guys do. And then you tell them or I tell them I'm a pastor. And you know what they do after that, right? Okay. But it's too late. Too late. You've already asked me. Now I told you. Now you know. And I usually take a little serviette or a little napkin of some kind and anything I can draw on. And I draw this little graph. And I asked him, are you a religious person? Most people, now I've had some people say no, but most people still today say, yes, I am. And I'll say, are you going to heaven? And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, why? And then I'll take this little sheet of paper, whatever it is, and I'll put 100% up here. And that represents 100% good. And down here, this represents 0% good. And then I draw a line in the middle representing 50%. And I give the person the pen and I say, now, on this scale from 0 to 100, where would you place yourself? Put your name where you think you reside. Now, where do you think everyone puts their name? In the upper quadrant or the upper, upper section. Why? Why? Because most people who are religious believe you need to have more good than bad or you're in trouble. Of course, I've never met anybody who thinks they have more bad than they do good. So most people place their name right about here, not very close to the 50, because you got to know it's, you, you do have more good in your life than bad. And then I like to do this. Do you know Billy Graham was once asked that question? By the way, I don't make this stuff up. This is good. This is right. Billy Graham was asked the question, Where would you place your name on the scale? And you know, he does it around the 33% mark. I love to see the look in their eyes. They've just put their name higher than Billy Graham. And I say, now, would you like to have the pen back? And they take the pen back so quick. But guess where they write their name? It's so close to Billy Graham. It's almost touching his line. (laughs) Now, they know they're not as good as Billy Graham, but man, they can't go 
too far down the scale, I'm in danger. And then I like to remind them, again, true story, by the editor at one, time, at one point of Christianity Today, asked Mother Teresa a question just like this. And she put her name at the 23% mark. So now they see that they've placed their names higher than Mother Teresa. They take the pen back. Where do they write their name? I'm telling you, man, it's almost on top of Mother Teresa. You can't keep going down to the zero scale. Now, the question is, folks, why? Why are most people? Because they're still religious. This is the theme of religion. As long as you have more good than bad, you'll go to heaven and you can meet with God. That's religion. Jesus comes along and gives us the antithesis to this. What does he say? It has nothing to do with how good you are. Because if you're going to try to be judged by the law or goodness, you'd have to be 100% and nobody is because of this. Here's the core teaching. Because God is holy and God is loving. And he's not just loving, he's also holy. And if God were God, you would expect God to be holy. You would expect God to be righteous and pure in his nature. We talk about, as theologians, the ontological nature of God. What is he truly like? And some of you, your God is only loving, and that's because you've created God in your own image. It's not the real God. The real God is holy, and he must punish sin. He must separate himself from all sin. The problem is, everybody in this room, everybody listening and watching, everybody on this stage, and back in the green room, we're all sinners, all of us. So we're all in trouble because the holiness of God requires him to separate himself from impurity. However, the Bible teaches he is also love. And this God who created us, the very reason where we created was for love relationship. He wants to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness so the two can come together. But he can't violate one part of his nature while remaining true to the other. There's a tension. How on earth then can God meet the requirements of his holiness and his love? By sending his son. How brilliant is this in the mind of God, folks? Send his son so the requirements of God's holiness have been met and your sin has been punished. They are placed on the back of his own son. And the requirements of the love of God has been, have been met in that he punished his son rather than you. He gave up what was most precious to him so he would not lose you. And when you, when you discover truly, when you truly discover what Jesus did to make you his treasure, you'll make him yours. And so this is the core of the gospel. And if that doesn't move you, and if something doesn't resonate in you right now, then I got to tell you, I'm worried about you. Somewhere along the line, you fell back into religion. You think, well, I'm basically a good person. I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It's never good enough. You need mercy and grace and salvation. And only Christ gives that to you. Now, Let's go back to some logic just for a moment. If what I said about God and the nature of God is true, that means that if you get to a point in your life and you're saying, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Jeff, about Jesus, but come on, there are other ways to God. Okay, when you say that, just make sure you understand what you're saying. Number one, you're saying the cross is not necessary. You're saying the cross and the blood of Jesus is not necessary for salvation. There are other ways. You're also calling God a masochist. Because if there are other ways to salvation, why would God do that to a son if he doesn't need to? This is a very serious matter. And it's why, let me just stop here just for a moment. Let me tell you something. The nature, the character, and doings of God, they are spreading the idea of, of the New Testament, the Old Testament character of God 
And the idea and the power of the cross, the cross is still the number one recognized symbol in the world, planet Earth. And here's probably something that you don't know or haven't been told in a while. Christianity is the fastest growing religion on planet Earth, and it still has more converse than any other religion. And again, again, you don't hear this, but it has taken the Muslim world by storm. Do you know that? I... Look, I have made a journey of my life traveling to places like Thailand to understand Buddhism, India to understand Hinduism, and even the Middle East to understand, in some places, Islam. And I can tell you, as we talk to our pastors, people in the Islamic world are coming to Christ in the thousands. And they're doing it. They're doing it through dreams. They're having dreams as Christ reveals himself. And then... There happens to be somebody that they come into contact with that explains the message of the gospel. See, do you understand? Once you, once you agree that the biblical revelation of God in describing the doings, the workings, and the nature of God reflects reality, then anything that opposes the workings, the nature, and doings of God, anything that's diametrically opposed to it cannot both be true. Now, let me go back. The gospel... 100 million Christians now in China and growing, 80 million in Russia and growing. For the first time in world history, we have more Christians in the Southern Hemisphere, for the first time in world history, more Christians in the Southern Hemisphere than the Northern Hemisphere. Did you know that? Why? Because Western culture and its definition of tolerance and inclusivity, the church is getting weaker and weaker as more people in places like the church I pastor and the church here are falling for the idea that there are more than one way. There's more than one way to the Father. The Quran is the only historical document, folks, that claims Jesus did not die on the cross. The Greek uh, uh, historians, pagan historians, Roman historians, Jewish historians all agree Jesus died on the cross. Only Islam denies the historical reality. So in, in the eyes of Islam, now please excuse my attempt again at humor. I'm just not very good at it. But I love the movie Princess Bride, too. That's one of my other favorite movies. And in the mind of Islam, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He was only mostly dead. And so he's not the atoning, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sin. But this is changing in the Islamic world, something the media will never tell you. Not too long ago, Sheikh Hussein, who's the leading cleric in Damascus, had an over three-hour conversation with a Christian apologist, and it was amicable. Conversations are being had among different world religions, and they're, they're more Gentile than they've been in a long time. Gentle, not Gentile. After the conversation, Sheikh Hussein looked at the Christian apologist with great respect and said, you know something, professor? I think the time has come for we in the Islamic world to stop asking if Jesus died and start asking why. Jesus has the right to claim he's the only way to God because only he offered his life as payment for your sin that makes it possible now for you to come into the presence of God. Without atonement, you can't come near. Now, let's get to the end here. I said in, in the early parts of the message that when you're investigating any worldview, you have to ask the first question of coherency. Is it coherent in its statements about origin, meaning, morality, destiny? I'm sure you've dealt with that in the past, so I can't do that now. But the other test is one of existentialism. How is Jesus to be experienced? And I got to do this in about five minutes, so I'm going to speed up even faster than I'm going now. Number one, 
a beautiful thing happens in the Christian message that no one else gives you. And that is when Jesus dies for your sins and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, the spirit of the living God comes on the inside to live in you. There is no other promise like this. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you so that you've got a greater sense of volition. You're going to be able to do things you've never done, see things you've never seen, feel things you've never felt, all because the spirit of the living God is in you. Now, if you're in the audience right now and you're saying, man, I have no idea what Pastor Jeff is talking about. Can I say again, I'm worried about you. If you've got the spirit of the living God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're different today than you were five years ago. You're conquering your temper and your attitudes and things are changing because the spirit of God is in you. There's the, we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, because of that, number one, Jesus, only Jesus, fulfills the deepest longing of the human heart. What is your deepest longing? To be loved and accepted unconditionally. One of my favorite reminders to people is that, you know, you have some friends in your life that there was a book written about 50 years ago called Balcony People, and you could refer to them as balcony people. When you're around them, man, they just lift your spirits. They make you feel like you can take on the world. They're such encouragers. They're balcony people. Go on. You can do it. You can make it. And we, we use the analogy, they like fill your tank. They fill your tank. And then there are other people. They're called basement people. And you got to watch how much time you spend with them. Because when you're not looking, they'll take a siphon hose and suck the gas right out of your life. And they're the ones that'll bring you down into the basement and the dungeon to live with them because they don't want to be there by themselves. I love the story of Acts where Stephen gives his life for the sake of the gospel. And Stephen, as he's dying, looks up into heaven and he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. To my knowledge, that is the only place in Scripture that we read Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father. He's always seated. Why is he standing? Because the throne room is the courtroom of God. And when somebody's standing before the judge, they're being an advocate for someone. Jesus is speaking the name of Stephen as Stephen is speaking the name of Christ to a hostile crowd. You've got a balcony person in heaven that stands at the right hand of the father that looks down and says, I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm going to give you what you need to overcome and to live above all your circumstances. That's the Jesus we serve. You get a prevailing presence. It might be true that you don't have an exhaustive understanding of all your pain. No one does because we're not God, but he promises us a prevailing presence to never leave us, never forsake us. And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm worried about you. If you do, you're saying, "Woo! he's so right. Jesus gives you something no one else promises. The spirit of the living God. You are a partaker of the divine nature of God. Second, only Jesus gives a satisfactory answer to the most troubling question of our lives. I go back, I go back now to the issue of pain and suffering. Trying to answer the issue of pain, suffering, evil in the world, it's such an intricate topic. It's very difficult. But here's what we do know. Here's what we know. We are people of the cross, which means it is possible to be in the absolute worst place in your life and still be directly in the center of the will of God at the same time. When was Jesus most centered in the will of the Father? When he was dying on the cross. That means that it is possible for you to be in the worst season of your life and be right where God wants you for this moment. The cross is the most recognized. It is brilliant in the mind of God. Brilliant. 
Dr. John Polkinghorne, who taught uh, quantum physics and quantum theory at Cambridge and Oxford. I used to love reading his books and listen to him talk about the fact that in the early picoseconds of the universe, a picosecond is uh, the time it takes something traveling the speed of light to cross a hair's breadth. So it's moving pretty fast. He said, in early created moments, when God was expanding the universe, the speed of the expansion and contraction had to be so precise, so precise, that it would be like taking a, a, a bow and arrow and hitting a one square inch target 20 billion light years away every time. If the universe expands too quickly, it's chunks of nothingness. Too slowly, or rather too quickly, it's chunks of, it's, it's, it's not chunks at all, it's just gas, air. If it expands too quickly or too slowly, it's big chunks of nothingness. The precision, the, the relationship between the expansion and contraction had to be so precise to sustain life. And then I love the comment that he makes. If God can take the chaos of the early picoseconds of the universe and bring beauty, pattern, and design into it, how much more then can he bring beauty and pattern and design out of the chaos of your life? Only Jesus offers that to you. Three, only Jesus gives objective proof of a future hope. I was on News Talk ZB in New Zealand in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And a caller called in and said, Pastor Jeff, you've been talking about this life after death stuff, but you have no objective proof that anything happens after death. And I, you know, I, I still disagree with that. And I usually give people two examples. Number one, no one can explain in the environmental sciences, no one can explain how a seed can go down into the ground, die, decompose, and then spring forth into new life, a beautiful apple tree. We know that it happens, just can't explain it. It's almost like God gave us a little picture in environmental sciences that it's possible for something to die, decompose, go into the ground, and then be resurrected to a new and wonderful life. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, as he uses precisely this example, that the tree is far more glorious than the apple or than the seed. Aren't you glad that your body's going to look a lot better in eternity than it does now? <laughs> so as a result, we're, we're supposed to be people who live with a vacation attitude. Okay, it's Wednesday. You're at work. You know your vacation starts on Monday. How do you respond to people Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the week before vacation? What do you do? Say whatever you want. doesn't matter. I'm out of here on Monday. <laughs> I would respond to that harsh email, but I don't care because I'm going to be on beach in Miami on Monday. Do whatever you want, man. I can make it through these days because on Monday, I'm out of here. And the Bible tells you that's supposed to be your attitude. Your attitude is supposed to do what you want to, world. Throw whatever you want at me because one day I'm going to be with Jesus in all of eternity. And it's one better day after the next day. G.K. <laughs> Chesterton said that we're supposed to be a people who have sorrow is only peripheral and joy is central. Yes, we have moments of sadness, but we live with this overarching sense of joy that we're going to win in the end. But for the unbeliever, they may have joy, moments of joy, going to Vegas, doing whatever they do, but overall, they live with an overarching sense of sorrow because they know one day it's going to end. But for you and me, we know one day it's just beginning. Only Jesus has the power to transform lives. Man, the power of the gospel to change and transform lives, unparalleled. 
Only Jesus fulfills the deepest longings of the human heart. Only Jesus gives a satisfactory answer to the most troubling questions of our lives. Only Jesus gives objective proof of a future hope by rising historically from the dead. That is the greatest objective truth that you ever need or proof that there is life after death with Christ. And only Jesus has the power to transform lives. And because I believe that, and because he has atoned, and only Jesus has atoned for your sins before a holy God so that you can come into community with him, then I can say to all of you, come on in. The water is fine. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.